Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. By now, you know the spiel. Me and Ben are a pair of automotive journalists, and we talk to you every single week about the cool cars we're driving and some other fun, interesting news from the automotive industry. So, Ben, I'm going to take it away, if you don't mind, right off the bat with the brand new 2020 Ford Escape. Now, I'm, this is an- I'm tingling, Sammy. You should be, because the Ford Escape is a very important product, mainly because... It has to fill in the gap left behind from the Focus, Fiesta, Fusion, and now this is going to be like the entry level, well, beyond the Eco, what's the name, Eco Sport. This is the car, this is going to be like the volume vehicle for Ford, I think, going forward. That's uh, a, re- that's a really good point. I mean, that's those are some big shoes to fill, and Ford's SUV like, lineup, it's not like other companies like Nissan or, or uh, Honda, where they have something small and competitive for the entry level set. <laughs> No, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean. You mean the, small and competitive. That's the e- not the EcoSport or okay. EcoSport or whatever we, you want to. Call no, it. we really need to address this because the EcoSport is a vehicle that was built for another market. I believe the Indian market. Mm-hmm. It was brought here with some changes, but not all that many. It does not feel up to par when you compare it against even vehicles like the Chevy Trax or the Nissan Kicks, which is a very low priced SUV that we like very much on the show, uh, and. The reason I'm, I'm kind of harping on this is because they did it with the Ranger, too. Yeah. It's a vehicle that was built for somewhere else, and they brought it here, and they gave it a good engine, but the interior is five years old. And this is – that's a problem if you're trying to get people to try your brand with an entry-level product. So, Sammy, tell me that the Escape is, is, is better than that. The Escape is better than that, okay? okay. In particular, I drove um, a titanium trim vehicle – with a two-liter turbocharged four-cylinder engine. And this two-liter four-cylinder engine makes uh, 250 horsepower and 275 pound-feet of torque. Okay. My problem with it is it uh, recommends um, high-octane fuel, or whatever you want to call it, 91. Um, and that's, a, that's just a small issue. It just means that your mainstream model with this engine requires uh, an extra cost at the, at the pumps. You know what I mean? Is this the um, only engine that's available, or do no, lesser? Because I remember several engines. Yeah, because the previous generation uh, Escape had a number of turbocharged and non-turbocharged four cylinders that you could you could plop in there. So the base engine is a one point five liter three cylinder turbo. Oh no! Yeah, and the up level there there are two choices above the um uh sorry two other choices than the um two liter turbo is the two point five liter hybrid and plug in hybrid. Okay, okay, so two and a half liter turbo, hybrids, and the three cylinder. That's what you're looking no. at. One and a half liter turbo, three, two liter turbo, okay, uh, four, and 2.5 liter hybrids. Okay, and that plug in hybrid, what kind of range does it have? Oh, man. I should have prepared for this podcast. It's, it's very true. The reason I ask is because the Escape was one of the first uh, hybrid SUVs on the market way back when. Yeah. And it was really good. And In fact, it was so good. You still see them in taxi fleets all over the world. I mean, they they were very robust and they were relatively fuel efficient for the time. I think it was – I mean, don't quote me on this. I think it was something like 34 miles per gallon or something, which yeah. was really, really decent for that era. And it's still good for, for a compact SUV even though gas-powered – crossovers are are showing those numbers these days um yeah and that wasn't a plug-in like that was just a straight-up hybrid 
And it was extremely competitive, especially when you start thinking about RAV4 um, and it didn't have a hybrid at the time. No, it, it had. Was really... a, there was an EV though. Do you remember from the nineties? Yeah, the weird EV. The Rav4 that EV. sometimes trailered its battery around or something. What? I swear, there's a version of the car that trailered a battery around or something. That's that's crazy. Uh, Am I making that up? I think you might. Did you have a dream, a fever dream? Maybe. Um, okay, what were you asking about the the, the plug-in range. hybrid, right? Yeah, the range on the plug-in hybrid. Oh, I don't have plug-in hybrid range. I have regular hybrid range. Okay. No, I don't. I don't have that. I have fuel economy on the regular hybrid, which is 41 miles per gallon. Okay. The turbo 2 liter that I have is not is nowhere near as fuel efficient. It earns 26 miles per gallon combined. Okay, so I want to just jump back to um, – so you said 26 miles per gallon for the turbo 3? No, this is the turbo 4. Okay. I want to jump back to your trailer thing. I think what you're thinking of – is a guy on the internet <laughs> yeah, like two years ago yeah he he he, he took a, a rav4 ev battery pack mm-hmm. put basically turned it into a trailer because it's like a it's like a skateboard right uh yeah. you know what i mean like where the battery packs at the lower part of the chassis and so he used took the skateboard from the rav4 ev and made a trailer and then connected it to his tesla <laughs> <laughs> and he towed it around and it was a range extender Hold on, no way. Yeah, I'm looking I've at it right now. This. But what's crazy about that is I wonder if you compare the weight of the battery. Because this is like a 90s era battery, right? So it's it's 41 kilowatt hours worth of energy. He says that um, it doubles the amount of power that he has. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm completely wrong. <laughs> Reverse what? everything I just said. It's a RAV4 EV towing a Tesla battery pack. That's what it is. Yeah, it doubles his range to 260 miles. Okay, so that's what I was thinking of. So that's wild. Okay, uh, can I get back to the escape? That I it drove? also okay doubles the frustration when parking. I think. Of course, I think so too. And yeah, anyway, go on. Okay, so the the interesting thing about the Ford Escape, and it's really important to talk about the segment, and we're talking about vehicles like the CRV I talked about last week, um, RAV4, and um, say the the Nissan Rogue. These are cars that are family friendly, um, extremely large and practical. Um, not usually extremely large. Well, sorry, they do have a lot of storage space, yes. um, especially with rear seats folded down and things like that. It's meant to carry um, kids. And their gear, like say strollers, or um, if they're their pogs, their pogs. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe that's overkill for. I mean, I think the the trunk space of a compact crossover is overkill for pogs. Uh, it depends how many slammers they've got. Are pogs still a thing? If you're listening and you're into pogs, let us know. Yeah, um, the Ford Escape does not is not as competitive as the CRV or the Rav4 in terms of cargo space. It feels extremely. Um, smaller and more um, compact than than those crossovers uh, in a good way too it feels a little bit more agile um, a little bit tighter like their turning radius is a little bit uh, easier to deal with and parking it seems I mean not that the CRV or the rav4 are particularly difficult to park but the 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 escape feels far more like a focus than it does a a CRV for example Okay, and, and I think that's really interesting. The powertrain is fantastic. I absolutely love the way that this thing delivers um, power. It feels very fast. There's an eight-speed automatic transmission. Um, it has a slight hitch in second, getting into second gear. Like you get a little bit of like shift shock, um, if that makes sense. It's uh, it's my only um, issue with the powertrain, uh, to go along with the the fuel economy, which I don't think is very um, strong. 
Now, in in your opinion, dynamically, you said that this is similar to an to to a focus. Like, is this something? Do you feel like if you move from a focus to this vehicle, you would feel still like you were in the compact hatchback segment, or dynamically, like is it deader? Like, the reason I'm asking is because the the focus was fun to drive, and yeah. I'm wondering if it's the same for the Escape. So I haven't done a focus and escape back-to-back drive, but I will say that... And, of, and that probably will never happen now. That probably will likely never happen. Um, and I will say that it just feels um, it just feels smaller than its competitors in terms of how it drives. And I, I, can't, I can't describe it any further than that other than saying like, it feels a little bit more agile. The steering is much heavier in almost in an artificial way. It feels like, like stiff, the steering, and I didn't like that at all. Um, the suspension is not as, um, you know, the, the focus came to North America with this really like European tuned suspension to put it into quotation marks, um, which is to say that it was somewhat stiff and, and fairly responsive. The escape is not to that level. It just feels more, uh, agile than its competitors. That's the best way I would say. Okay. So sort of like a kicks then. (laughs) Um, kicks is tiny. Yeah. But the Kicks is, I think, our gold standard for affordable crossovers, just in terms of fun to drive. Oh, yeah, sure. If you want to talk about affordability, though, this Escape may not um, tick that box. The model I have is nearly $40,000. It's actually over $40,000 in the U.S., which I think is wild, considering you can still get a plug-in hybrid version of the car, um, which will cost more. Um, It has a ton of technology, though. Some good, some bad. What's Um, the bad technology? I hate that, you know, the head-up displays that some compact cars come with that are just this piece of plastic um, above the gauge cluster? That's the worst. They're absolutely terrible. They are gimmicky. You have to actually take your eyes off the road to look at them, which is the thing that bothers me the most. Absolutely. Uh, And it just looks really gimmicky. It looks so low quality. I just can't stand that. The advantages, though, is that if... For whatever reason, you've made it this far and are buying a $40,000 car and don't know how to park. It has uh, automatic parking uh, features, which is cool. Do you Um, use it? How many times did you use it? Never. I've never needed to use it. (laughs) (laughs) How many people do you think own a vehicle that has an automated parking feature and either don't know that it has that feature or are too wary of it to use it or tried to use it once, never got a proper demo from the dealer Mm -hmm. and just kind of never touched it again? I definitely think it's the latter of all of those uh, scenarios because I think when I try to use it, it ends up being extremely like slow, I think is the best way to say it. It just never feels like confident in what it's about to do, and I hate yeah. that. And I can never tell – you know, the worst for me is, is I can never get it to detect a space. That's the <laughs> yeah. problem. Like you're, you're creeping along and there's definitely a space and you're waiting for the car to use whatever radar it is using to determine that that gap is big enough for whatever you're driving. And it never happens. And there's like a crowd of vehicles behind you. And at that point, yeah. I could have already parked. <laughs> I know. <you> know? <laughs> yeah. And you're just sitting there like, guys, let me just – you need to see this. The, I, the car can park itself. And people are like, why don't you just park and let us get on with our people lives? People are on their horns, reaching yeah. under their seats for guns. It's terrible. Montreal's wasteland. Terrifying. Um, there's one more thing I want to talk about. It has all of those, um, safety features, adaptive cruise control, lane keeping assist, and it works very, very well. However, it does not come as standard equipment, which is something that happens in the Toyota RAV4 and Honda CRV. And a lot of, a lot of other crossovers too. Yeah. So if you're looking at, you know, value, the, I said that before with the pricing of it, I don't think that the Escape really delivers the best value. However, it is very good to drive. It has a good powertrain. It does have 
a decent amount of space. I would say it has more. It does have more than the Mazda CX-5, um, but it definitely has less than the RAV4 and CRV, which I think are like the gold standards when it comes to practicality in the segment. I took a quick look, and uh, with the seats folded down, it's um, oh, actually, this is inches. Never mind. I, I was looking at trying to find cargo. I've volume. got cargo volume. Thirty-four point four cubic feet of cargo space in the hybrid, and uh, that's behind 60, the second row. And then sixty total. Okay, okay, that's pretty decent. So I mean, uh, actually, I'm seeing sixty-five for the non-hybrid. 60, yeah, sorry, sixty-five total. for the. Yeah, for that's the that's that's really good. But I mean, again, the CRV and the and the Rav Four are what seventy, seventy-three, something like that. Yeah, the Rav Four is seventy. So that's that's they've always led that mm-hmm. that statistic. Uh, but this is a, a serious step up over a hatchback, um, mm-hmm. which not all crossovers are. Like if you're in a, a GTI or a Golf, uh, you're probably looking at around 50, 53 cubic feet, I think, total. So the fact that you can get 65, that's that's a meaningful amount of extra space. Can I add, though, there's some one thing that I, I just don't like about the Escape, and I don't think it'll change. The design has yet to grow on me. Just looking at it is very anonymous uh there's a way that it looks almost like a kia sportage and then yes and then in some angles it looks a lot like the aston martin dbx which i don't know if that's that must be a good (laughs) thing but i don't think it is you know what i mean well i mean just because the dbx looks good doesn't mean when you shrink those same that same styling onto different dimensions it's going to necessarily also be attractive so i i want to uh reiterate that i think that the Escape is probably the best all-rounder in this class, assuming cargo space is not your number one concern. And what about price, though? So, like I said, the model I have is $40,000. You can get into an Escape for as little as $25,000, and that would come with the um, turbo three-cylinder. But again, you don't get the safety equipment. You don't get the safety equipment. I just think the driving style, the driving format, and just this titanium model just seems like a a better... fit for more people if it was my money i would get the mazda cx-5 especially the signature with the turbo 2.5 which is a wicked car it's so good what about the rav4 hybrid i haven't driven a new rav4 hybrid yet so i can't comment so good i agree with you on that but i also think that um power wise it might not be feeling as um engaging as these cars really that's interesting yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I can't wait to try it for myself, but I just don't think Toyota's been really killing it with their driving feel um, behind the, from, from behind the wheel. So you're saying we need a, a GR, a RAV4 GR hybrid? I think that would be wicked. <laughs> TRD GR hybrid yeah. RAV4. That, if it was a RAV4 GR TRD, that's like legit three acronyms in a row. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> PHEV. There, I'm certain there has been other um, vehicles with that many acronyms haven't there i'm 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 sure i mean i'm sure in the german market there's a number of vehicles that are just like a series of nonsensical numbers and letters appended to each other as crx si like what else are we looking for with the, well there was CR, yeah. there was also a crx hf right HF, for yeah. the the or i think it was hf for the uh the fuel efficiency models yeah um there's uh all the srt models srt8 yeah those don't count no nah can we talk about the 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 progress that the Escape has made? It used to be this vehicle that had a shared platform with a Mazda. I think it was called the Tribute, I'm going to say. Does that make sense? Do you remember yes, this? Yes, yes. Go Which on. Which was built on a, pla- on a Mazda sedan platform. 
Okay. Before and now it went, and then it went into this boxy thing. Um, not exactly attractive, not very high tech, save for the powertrain that you could get. And now it seems like uh, it's got everything. Like I said, I think the fact that it has to um, accommodate, it has to fill a major gap in, in Ford's lineup means that it's just been filled with so much I really, stuff. I really, I really wonder, though, if Ford's trying to fill that gap or if they just don't care. Because they were selling 250,000 or 200,000 fusions a year. And those people are That's not going those people are not going to be buying escapes. No, and they'd probably go into an edge, I suppose, if they're I desperate don't, to stay. I in don't the know. Ford. I think they're going to go buy a Camry. Is what I think they're going to do. Yeah. And I think that Ford just looked at it from a profit perspective and not a volume perspective. We've talked about this in the past on the show, but they were mm-hmm. probably making more money on the Edge than they were on the Fusion because they were able to charge more for it and the production costs were probably similar. So they were just like, you know what? If we get rid of the fusion, yes, we lose 200,000 sales a year, but we also don't have to pay for the labor and the materials and everything that went into building that vehicle. And we also don't have to spend a billion dollars developing a next generation version. Right. So it's, uh, it's, it's an accounting decision, which is, you know, the saddest thing. The Escape, the new Escape also replaces one other product I completely forgot about, the Ford C-Max. I don't think, does it really? <laughs> The C-Max doesn't exist anymore and was available as both a, pl- a full hybrid and a plug-in hybrid, which is what the Escape is now. I've always kind of felt like the C-Max was a, um, a like, a, I don't know. A, a yeah, showroom nobody filler. knows what the No, a showroom knows. filler? Like, it, it, no one really bought it, I don't think. Did you ever see one on the road and you're like, wow, they did it. <laughs> Honestly, they bought the C-Max. I see more of the full-size Ford vans, the, <laughs> the transits, than I do <laughs> C-Maxes. C-Max. Yeah. That makes sense. You know what, what? The more interesting thing as well is that when we were talking about the CRV last week, we were talking about all the weird features that it had before the shower, the the table, and there never has been a sort of quirkiness to the to the Escape, as far as I can remember. It used to come with a bizarre green color, if you remember that, but I can't remember anything about the Escape just being like downright. Oh yeah, that's. Wild. That's different. That's a risk. Yeah, that's, that was and, back in the, in a time when no one was excited to buy an escape <laughs> or an escape like vehicle. It was something you bought because you needed it, right? Or because you'd been told to buy it by marketing. Like it wasn't like you woke up one day and you're like, "Oh yeah, today's the day. Today's the escape day." So uh, now with this, I, I can't wait to drive the hybrid versions of this car. I think it'll be. Um, what's interesting, I believe, is that the hybrid might be more might be more um, affordable than one of these other vehicles, uh, than the Titanium, I think, too, which I think is pretty cool. I would hope so. I'm looking um, at uh, sales figures on the C-Max right now. In the in the last quarter of 2018, they sold 200. <laughs> and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to actually pull numbers for, like, the year, but it's really hard to find uh, because I think, and now my, my browser is frozen, but, okay, here we go. <laughs> they sold 6,000 in 2018, Maxes? Yeah, but it's weird because the year before that they sold eighteen thousand, and I guess it peaked around twenty fourteen where they sold nearly thirty. That's that is, that's a really small number of years. That's not a lot, no. No. And now they're going to buy a Escape if they want to buy C Max. Nobody wants. So basically, what we're saying is nobody wanted to buy a C Max. They're still they're, they in twenty nineteen. They were still kind of on sale. Yeah. They sold six of them in January. <laughs> a year ago, a year ago this month, they sold six. But uh, yeah, oh, they sold thirty-five in twenty thirteen. Okay, I'm just going to stop talking because no one is interested in this. No, no one this is. This is the least interesting part of the podcast. What I will finish up 
the escape conversation with is I can't wait to test it against a new Forester, which is a car that both you and I have said is very good. Um, you don't like the robot. I love the robot. Uh, the robot has no major factor into whether or not we like the car or not. It Maybe is a very not solid, for you. It's a very solid crossover. Um, it's a little dull to drive, but I think the escape, that's where the escape's um, trump card is with that two-tier turbocharged engine. So I'm going to pick up and head in a different direction now that we've exhausted the entertainment possibilities of compact crossovers. <laughs> and I'm going to talk about yet another BMW, Sammy. Oh, my goodness. What is happening? Uh, well, you know, I wish we were somehow profiting from <laughs> this glut yeah. of BMWs. But no, this is entirely organic, or maybe it's just what I've been uh, booking over the last couple of months. But after spending that couple of weeks in the Grand Coupe, the M850 i grand coupe i picked up an m550i which is the exact same drivetrain on Mm -hmm. a different platform and we've talked about the five series in the past but it was a long time ago it's been about a year since i've driven one i barely remember it i've had a lot of time to think about it because i think at the time uh the last time i drove an m550 it was within a month of having driven the m5 or something like that okay and so i was comparing them in my mind i'm like you know what the M5, 600 horsepower. The M550, at the time, was not as close in terms of power, but it was still very quick. Flash forward to 2020, they've given an upgrade to the engine in the M550. It now produces the same 523 horsepower that is in the Grand Coupe. Okay. And I think it's 553 or 500, yeah, 553 pound-feet of torque at 1,800 RPM. So you're very, very close all of a sudden to the M5. To the M5 numbers, yeah. For a lot less money, because this is a vehicle that starts at 76 grand, Sammy. Ooh. So the the question becomes, is it as engaging to, to... One of the questions I had about this car is like, is it as engaging to drive as the M5? The M5, to me, not super engaging because it's very heavy. It has the trick all-wheel drive system. You can turn it to rear-wheel drive if you turn off all the electronic nannies and the traction control and all that stuff. Uh, there's no more manual transmission for it, so you know you have that same button with the weird shift harshness thing on it. Yeah, you, yeah, the, the, that, that whole that deal. Thre- that, it looks like Wi-Fi on it. Yeah, the Wi-Fi button. Uh, we've talked about this in the past. Um, the M550. I don't. You know, there was never a point over the past week where I was in that car thinking, man, I wish this had 70 more horsepower. Yeah, I well, doubt you would ever feel that way. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. That's that so. It's not. I don't think it'll be about the horsepower. It'll be about maybe the noise. It'll be maybe about the the responsiveness of the car. Do those elements um, stand up to the M5? Do you think? Again, it's really hard to tell. The, or is it just this? It's like one degree, and that's not worth seventy thousand dollars. Right? I would say it's definitely that. Or that's thirty. The sorry, case. thirty thousand. The difference has got to be like what thirty thousand dollars. I don't know exactly where the M5 starts. I want to say high nineties, but I'm not sure yeah. exactly. But uh, I think you're right. I think it is a question of degree, and I don't think there's enough of there's enough degrees of difference between the two cars, unless and, and, and in the past I would have said unless you're planning to go to the racetrack. But there's no reason to take an M5 on the racetrack. Like if you are, unless you just love to burn brakes and tires. <laughs> uh, yeah. If it, 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 am I wrong? You know and what? Fuel. <laughs> Even I'm, in the in the past, 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 I would have been like. This, this is your only car. If you can only have one car, you only have one parking spot, and you have enough money to afford an M5 and you don't mind the tires and stuff, then yes, buy this car, take it to the track on weekends, you'll have fun. But the current car, it's just kind of a numbers car. 
it's a car that's extremely impressive from a specs perspective. And if you drive it, it's very hard to get yourself in trouble unless you really, you know, you turn it into that rear wheel drive drift machine that you can do at the touch of a button. And you can't do that with an M550. No, you can't do that with an M550. But I don't think either of these cars belong on a racetrack. I don't think right. anyone is buying them to do that. And so I don't think that argument holds water anymore. Okay, so let's let's talk. The the starting price of the M550 is 76,000 and M5 starts at 102,000 and okay. then there's the M5 competition at 110,000. Which so I think that's like another 40 another, horsepower or something? No, 17 horsepower okay. over, the, All right. over the M5. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, I'll do 0, five, uh, 0 to 60 in under 4 seconds. The it's 3.6 in the M550, 3.2 and 3.1 in the M5 and M5 comp. Like, these are, that's degrees. They're degrees that I don't think anyone will have the, the, they'll ever experience, you know? No. I no think... one, no one should experience, no one should, should, and, and I wonder, an, a true M550 owner will see an M5 on the road and say, I'm very happy with the extra $25,000 in my pocket. I think an M550 owner will see an M5 on the road and not think about it at all. <laughs> no, I think that it's like a car that doesn't exist in the minds of most people buying this 5 Series. Oh, come on. They're no, parked right next to each other. I'm sure of it. No, they're like – they're not thinking about that when they go to the BMW dealership. They're not thinking, I want to buy the M- – if you buy an M5, it's because you know – it's bragging rights at this point. Right. It's total bragging rights. It's like, I have the best 5 Series. Okay, good for you. I well, think the person you get, buys You have the, to get the M5 competition to say that. Yeah, now. that's true. But I think the guy, it's, I, think, I think that's the X6 buyer. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I think the person who's buying the M550 is like, I want the best combination of features, equipment, and power I can get from the 5 Series at the price point I can afford, which is like 80 grand after you yeah. put options on it. And I don't think they're even thinking about motorsports. And... One thought that I kept having while I was driving the 550 this uh, the, the past week is this might be the best all-around sedan BMW has ever produced. Uh, if wow. you look at, really? I'm not ever talking produced. About, I'm not talking about dynamics. I'm not talking about um, thrill of driving or any of that stuff. I'm just talking about if you look at it has crazy power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> crazy. I, I think it's probably more than it's advertised. No question. We always is, say that with BMW. They always end up feeling far more punchier yeah. than they than they say they are. It has a ton of room inside for, for you know, five people if you want. But, you know, five, four people are going to be totally comfortable. It has a big trunk. It All-wheel drive is standard. I drove this car in a crazy, crazy rainstorm mm-hmm. uh, on the highway in a snowy, snowy conditions. And it was absolutely comfortable the whole time i didn't feel worried i at no point did the car feel out of control so i really appreciate that and uh it it just does everything well it the interior is nicely appointed you can get it's hard to think of a feature from the 7 series or the grand coupe that you would want that you can't get in the 5 series so whereas you know the 8 series might be my my favorite bmw right now and the m2 is also i guess on that list i think the 5 just from an all-around perspective, this is the ultimate car. This is everything BMW does, doing doing it well in a single package. So I think it's more important to talk about the the 8-series Grand Coupe that you had and how this feels in relation to that. Um, does this truly feel like a step down from the 8-series? Yes. 
Yes. Yes. Uh, in terms uh, of trim, in terms of just overall experience, what is it? Design? Design, definitely. Yeah. I think the 8 Series is uh, – that's that's the thing about, that I was going to follow up with on the 5 is that it manages to be this perfect all-around car yet not be interesting. And that's and what the 8 Series did for you. The 8, eight Series has interesting styling uh, for mm. BMW. It attracts attention. It's It's an eye-catching car. It on the highway. It feels a little bit more stable, and there's. It feels like there's more room, even though I don't think there is, uh, just because of the extra wheelbase on the car. Okay. And uh, I think it just has a somewhat more cachet. I think the five series is a very incognito car. And we've talked about that in the past. How the the styling on the five doesn't really stand out at all, and I think that's appealing to some people because it's still a handsome, good looking car. It just doesn't grab you. You know, right. it's not a car you would aspire to based on the design alone, but it is a good looking car for its class. So it's it's that to me, I, I do believe that paying more for the 8 Series, you are getting more car in maybe some intangible ways. But paying but, more for an M5, not really. No, you're, you're, you're getting numbers at that point. And okay. I don't think you'll ever access those numbers in a way that's meaningful to you. So basically, I, I think the best way to say it then is like if you drive an M550 and you're not satisfied with it, the tr- the solution won't be found in the M5, no. right? It'll no. be found in another lineup, another product. Maybe, yes. Uh, another thing to th- that I was thinking about when I was reflecting on how – because I took the car on a couple of road trips. So I had time to you know zone out and do whatever it is I do when I'm on the highway. And Hopefully drive. Yeah, that, that that was happening, I'm sure. But uh, I was thinking, how does BMW top this? Because this car is so good in every meaningful way that I'm like, <laughs> do, do we get a 700-horsepower version? That's completely unnecessary. Um, do we get a version that's more fun to drive? Also completely unnecessary for this demographic. And do we get something with extroverted styling? I don't necessarily see that as being an improvement. I don't know how – I don't know where BMW goes next with the 5 Series, I guess is what I'm saying. Do they just keep producing an extremely competent product that, that they can be proud of? Or Well, yeah, there doesn't seem anything wrong about that, but it just doesn't feel evolutionary like like the BMW – the 5 Series from now till then. Uh, sorry, from previous generations to now. Well, the previous generation wasn't that great. It wasn't that bad, but it wasn't. It, it was nowhere near the current car's capabilities. Right, like we're technologically BMW is advanced at the point where, I mean, this car has five hundred and twenty-three horsepower, and, and, dri- not, and it drives so. Naturally. It's not a performance car, right? You know, so like that's insane. The M eight fifty i has the same power, and it is decidedly not a performance car. So mm-hmm. once you've gotten there, what do you do next? And and is the answer electrification? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I think the the easiest thing for BMW to do is just jam more power in like they always do. Um, but that means also you have to improve the braking. You have to add more pricing and the t- in, uh, more fancier tires, although tire technology has gotten to um, pretty impressive um, level right now. But you know, you'd be, I think, if you start adding power, you also worry that maybe you're adding a fuel consumption too. Yeah, so I think that you're onto something probably using more electrification. I'm not 100% sure yet if the 5 Series has that 48-volt mild hybrid system or anything like that. No, it doesn't. And I can imagine them starting there or even going beyond that and uh, incorporating some of the things from um, the i lineup. But I, I just heard that the i8 has been canceled, so I don't know. Yeah, that's not a surprise, that. though. I mean, it, they weren't going to evolve that car. That's, that's very much a design statement car. I don't see what you would do in a second generation. 
So I can imagine them just taking their, the, the lessons they learned, if any, from those products and putting them in, in towards the new generation uh, 5 series. But do any of those – those are all changes, and I, I agree that it's all things they could do. But do any Will they of make those, it better? Yeah, do any of those changes actually improve the product? We'll have to see. To, we'll have to see it. Um, what, what do you think? What, to, you, to you, if you, if you looked at the current car and someone said, make it better, what would you do? I would make it more affordable. $76,000 is – uh, it's still a high entry point for um, uh, a vehicle. Well, it's not an entry point though because that's not the only version of the car. That's true. That's um, the top tier version of the car. So you can get a 540 for a lot less money. I actually really like the 540. Like I really, really like the 540. I think it's a very – like the way you describe the M550 is how I like the the 540. It's a very good, competent, all-around vehicle. It's a six-cylinder engine and, and it just – And it's $60,000. So already, you know, you're like yeah. 16 grand below. And if you want, you can get a four-cylinder for like 53. Or you can get – I think there used to be a plug-in hybrid. I'm not sure if that one's still available as well. I don't think so. No, not yet. Oh, too bad. Um, so the interior um, never really caught Wait, me. Wait, I'm, I'm sorry. There is there's an electrified section that I didn't the see. The 530E? Yeah. And it's yeah. – you know what's weird? It's the, the same price as the 5. Is, it is exactly the same price. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. I love that about the the 5 Series. I always think that there's a better story to be told about the 5 Series in the lower end of its lineup than the upper tier because it just gets muddled like this M5 and M550 situation. Yeah. Um, I think that the interior could be a little bit more lavish in a way, um, a little bit more plush. The 5 Series interior is all business, in my opinion. It just feels like... um, It's not meant to impress. It's meant to do a job, and it does it very well. Okay. Does that make sense? I, I mean, I, I like it. Uh, it's not, you know, it doesn't have the Swarovski crystals and the... Which is okay. The crazy leather that you'd find in a 7 or an 8. But yeah, it's it's fun. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I guess that's why BMW sticks all those gimmicks in it. I mean, the, the weird controls or the Swarovski or the um, Jester controls or the, um, the ginormous key or whatever it is, right? Like, yes. they're just trying to, to fill up that... To, to garner some more interesting elements about well, the and, car, and also drain, so drain the pockets of buyers. I mean, it's yeah. ultimately it's a business, and I get that. I agree with you. I think the eight series has become so evocative. Just the design, both interior and exterior, the performance just feels so special, and it seems like it's worth the price. But the five series is the one that is more for your um, brain rather than your heart. If that makes any sense, less emotional. So uh, just wrapping up on the five, we, we had a, a, a listener write in, Tim, this mm-hmm. week, and he had a question for us, uh, kind of relates to what Sammy was talking about earlier in the podcast. But he asked if the two-liter engine that Ford used to make for a variety of automakers, Jaguar, Land Rover, Volvo, he asked if that was still around. And because all those car companies, they still have those that displacement motor featuring prominently in in their lineup so sammy is that ford motor still lurking in the background for these companies because i know these are smaller companies that don't necessarily have the resources to build their own motors uh as often as they would like to my understanding is no those engines are no longer um being put to use in jaguar and volvo's products in fact both automakers have invested pretty heavily in their own lineup of um engines the volvo has gone into these drive e motors um which is uh, available with both a turbocharged or a turbocharged and supercharged motor. Uh, they're both two liter. They're they're all two liter engines, as far as I understand. And you can even get them with a hybrid powertrain, which is pretty cool. And then Jaguar has another um, lineup of 
motors called, I think, Ingenium or Ingenium. Um, you know is, which one's right. Don't don't cater to me. <laughs> Say it which, the right way. Which cha- which vary in size from and cil- and and uh, cylinder count from 1.5 liters to three liters. Um, but the mainstream models are these two liter turbocharged well, they, motors. That you they know. don't have a three liter four cylinder. No, it's a three liter th- six cylinder. Okay. Uh, it's found in the Range Rover Sport um, mild hybrid. Okay. All right. Well, and thank- then Mazda they. They don't use any Ford motors anymore. They've got all these, uh, what do they call them? Skyactiv. Yes. Uh, Skyactiv G engines, which I think are two liters and 2.5. And maybe one day Skyactiv X, maybe. Yeah, maybe we'll see that someday soon. But, but Tim, thanks, thanks for writing in and, and asking that question. Um, if anyone else wants to write in and talk to us. Actually, would... I want to I follow up on, on Tim's question before we get to that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is, there any, is there any motor in that, of those, you know, those that came from the ashes of that Ford two liter. Um, any of those motors stand out as special to you? I mean, the Volvo was with the drive. What's it called again? The drive E they come in T five and T six. That's pretty wild. Those are, those are wild motors. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. Mainly because it's something that's so unique in terms of the turbocharging, supercharged setup. Um, they sound wild. They sound super cool. And it seems to work. I haven't yeah. heard of any crazy problems with them yet. Even mm-hmm. though it seems like they're living, they're like on borrowed time, <laughs> like that much, <laughs> that much forced induction. Yeah. So I, 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 that would be my pick, I think, out of those. I, the Sky Active stuff from Mazda is good, but we've seen, you know, it, it's it, the technology is a little old at this point. I agree with you. I think that the uh, drive V motors in every product that I've driven them in, both T6, which is the twin charge setup, or the T5, which I've driven in the um, XC40, I think you have too, yes. um, is a pretty solid engine and uh, one that's easy to get along with. Yeah, no complaints at all about any of those motors. All right, so, so th- let's, let's get back to what you were saying. If you have a question, like t- Tim did, um, for us, it's very easy to get in touch with us. You can reach out on our website. You go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a contact form. You fill it out. Bam, it goes into our inbox, and we love it. There's another way you could do it. You can reach out to us on social media. You can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Additionally, you can send us an old-fashioned email, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. And if you want – yeah, that, that, that covers our basis on the contact. If you want to hear old episodes, Unnamed Automotive Podcast has them all there. Unnamed, I'm sorry, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. They're listed mm-hmm. in chronological order, but you can also search tags. I tag everything by the vehicles that we talk about. So if there's a certain vehicle that you're curious about and you want to see past impressions or how our opinions have evolved over time, if, if we're even capable of evolution, uh, you can type the tag in and search and you'll find it. Um, you can also find us on any of the, the major podcatchers, Spotify, Google Play Music, Apple Podcasts, everything. We are out there. There's a list of buttons, or sorry, an array of buttons on the website for all the most common podcatchers. It'll take you right to us on that service, or you can just search for them in your own whatever app you're using to listen to podcasts. Very cool. Ben, what are you driving next week? Uh, I am driving the Genesis G70. I It's a last-minute replacement. I had a G90 on deck. And the G70 slid in with the save, so uh, I'm not unhappy about that. I'm rediscovering my love for the sedan, and I'm uh, looking forward to talking about it. Very cool. And I, uh, as I mentioned, I drove the Escape, but I also got to compare it to some other vehicles, uh, mainly the Sportage, the CRV, and the RAV4. So I'll talk about those ones a little bit more. All right, and thank you everyone for listening, and we hope to have you back next week. Take care.